Hey, thank you so much for gathering with us wherever you are and whomever you are with. We're grateful for the opportunity to be able to gather in this way. Uh, looking forward to 2021, uh, we're continuing to meet predominantly in community groups. Uh, January, February, and March. This is a course of action we here at Life Church are going to take. And we're going to do that for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, we're doing it because we have found these community groups to be just so good, uh, producing stories of personal transformation and, and vibrant community being developed between people's lives. Uh, secondarily, because of the rising numbers of COVID and flu season being upon us and all the things, Executive Order 72 coming from our governor's office, uh, the elder team, we feel this is the best course of action. So we would again exhort and encourage you, find and form a community group. If you need help doing so, email us at info at lifechurchvirginia.com and we'll do everything we can to get you planted. All right, let's turn to our scriptures. Mark chapter 14. And while he, Jesus, was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She's anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, please speak to me and through me. Listen through each of us that we may hear your word and respond according to your will. Mold us, shape us, make us more into your image as we give you these moments. Father, we ask that you would do a work in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. You know, as we started this We Are the Jar series, all I wanted to accomplish in last week's conversation was deliver an honest assessment of who was at the table. Who was at the table Jesus has a tendency to kind of move the story to him, the, the jar, the alabaster jar, the, the deep conversation of worship, the, the anointing that is disruptive. All of these things can and very much do overshadow the simple yet monumental fact of who is at this table together. But we should not move so quickly beyond the company Christ. Again, God in the flesh keeps the company he chooses to keep. I personally find it incredibly instructive for my life, for my tables, as Jesus has his Simons, his sinners, his stabbers around him, those people that are all sitting in all walks of life, the self-righteous, the ostracized, the, the ones that are misfits and have missed it and fallen apart, and those who are zealously looking for what they want and only what they want. And yet Jesus sits at table with every single one of them, the Simons, the sinners, the stabbers. It's just mind-boggling that he brings this collection together. They're all there because Jesus is there. Anyway, moving on to this week's conversation. I'll start with this. I, I personally would not call myself cheap. 
Other people may. I just don't see the value or worth of a thing rising to the regularly accepted set offering of most reputable retail and sales industries. When they say the cars start at that price, I'm like, nope, that's where I stop. I'll be looking around a store and I'll see a t-shirt. I'm like, oh, that's a witty phrase. And oh, it feels so nice. And I'll look at the price tag and I'll say, $43 for a t-shirt? How about Valuing that at a buck seventy-five, that sounds about right to me. <laughs> and don't even get me started on cell phones and how often they come out with a new one every six weeks and how much they cost and the ballooning prices. It just makes my head spin. I don't think I'm cheap. <laughs> we play, uh, pay for Ace's basketball equipment and things for his development, increase his capacity and confidence. We've not bought one two, but three basketball hoops. We had a Cox truck break one. We had Asa break another as he was learning to slam dunk. And the third one's still there. And we pray that it'll last a, a few more weeks. Tanya and I shell out on the regular finances for Jude's baseball gear, accoutrement, lessons, cage time, uh, trips and tournaments, all the things associated with to that. And then our seven-year-old, cute, green-eyed, curly-haired Zoe, who dances, plays soccer, does gymnastics, takes music lessons. Uh, we pay through the nose to eat plants and vegetables. Explain to me why plants and vegetables are so expensive. I mean, they're growing from the earth. But nonetheless, we pay for those things. We've invested in our education, our therapy, so many other things. What I'm trying to say is that, yes, I don't think I'm cheap. When I see the value, when I agree with the set worth, I'm all in. It's not uncommon, though, for you to run into me at Target, and I'll literally be grappling over a bag of chips, <laughs> a bag of chips, largely because I usually go into stores famished, and I'll just grab a random bag of chips, and then I'll literally go back and forth from the shelf to my cart, from the shelf to my cart. Is it worth $1.75? No, it's not worth $1.75. Would Tiny want me to eat these chips? No, she wouldn't want me to eat these chips. But is Tiny here? No, she's not here, and I'm very hungry, and I would literally go back. So it's not unreasonable. If you see me walking back and forth between the chip aisle and a cart, I'm grappling with the price. I'm grappling with the value of said delicious chips. Does anybody else want some Doritos? There, there's a similar grappling taking place in our passage, grappling with value. And I want to have a conversation today about awkwardly expensive stuff. If you're taking notes, awkwardly expensive stuff. You see, in our passage, this sinful woman, this is what the gospel writer Luke calls her, a sinful woman, rolls in and she deems anointing Jesus. Now put a pin in that because I want to come back to the actual activity of anointing once we get past the price appraisal. But this sinful woman rolls in and, and she deems anointing Jesus at 300 denarii which is roughly 300 days labor. And in no uncertain terms, it's an entire year's wages. Not to get rude or abruptly personal, but what do you make in a year? And is Jesus worth that to you? Is he worth that to us? We make mention of tithe and giving of our finances, what we have left over, line of, of demarcation in regards to financial generosity. But this woman comes in and just obliterates the bar set up in religious tradition by giving it all a whole year's worth of wages. 
Now, before you continue Googling other faith communities, I'm not saying that this is what you or I or any of us should do. Give it all. Uh, Generosity law or heavy-handed expectation to give a certain amount of finances. I'm not saying that because Jesus doesn't say that. Not even close. Something really interesting happens in our passage when the scriptures tell us they scolded her. She comes in, she breaks the flask, anoints Jesus, pours the oil over him, and they scolded her. They mocked her, they derided her, yes, but I want to focus on, for a moment, the they of they scolded her. All these various people who are normally very opposed to one another in every shape or form quickly come together to form an alliance to be against It's fascinating how quickly people can come together when they're choosing to be against. You have the disciples, you've got lepers, Pharisees, tax collectors, fishermen. They all get on board real fast. And this, of course, is the last straw even for Judas. They saw this expenditure as wasteful. But here's the honest truth. Valuing is deeply personal. Assigning worth is an intimate act. It's subjective in nature. It's it's a gray area to be sure until it isn't because God lends his voice. Where all these sitting at the table said this is wasteful and they assigned a different value, God speaks up in verse 6. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. So, What is this beautiful thing? Let's take that pin down that I pinned earlier and look at the layers of happenings with this woman and her awkwardly expensive stuff. A few things are happening in this one activity. First, she's washing the physical body of Jesus. She is taking care of him. She's showing kindness and concern. She's actually agaping him. She's loving him where he is. It would have been a very normal thing to do this to an honored guest. And she is filling that role and loving him in this way. Jesus speaks to the second layer that this woman is doing, and she's anointing him for the burial. She's anointing him more appropriately for the resurrection. This would have been tradition upon a dead body. It's a fulfillment, but it is also wrapped, as Jesus says it, the burial that he's about to engage, it's wrapped in hope. She's honoring Jesus with this action. But the third is the most inflammatory layer. She's anointing Jesus for priesthood, for kingship, for lordship. She is submitting to him as Lord. It's one thing to be a teacher. It's another thing to be God. It's a wholly different thing altogether to say, you are my Lord. We see this taking place in the Old Testament as Moses and Aaron are anointed. Psalm 133 talks about the oil coming down over Aaron's beard. We see Saul anointed in 1 Samuel 10, David anointed in 1 Samuel 14. And these anointings in Saul and David and and Moses and Aaron are speaking to their leadership that they are chosen and they are, more importantly, not just chosen, but they should be followed. You see, Jesus is God and he gives us a way to go. The God portion of Jesus is really quite simple. Yes, we have to grapple with it. We have to arrive at that place. We have to give 
place for God in that way in our lives. But it's simply that. It's giving him place. It's receiving him. It's free. It really costs you and I nothing. It makes me think of the thief on the cross who interjects those who are mocking Jesus as he hangs there. And he turns to Jesus and he says, hey, remember me when you enter into paradise. And Jesus looks at him and says, today you will be with me in paradise. I think of it too in in Romans as Paul writes, chapter 10, verses 5 through 10. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will ascend into the, descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The God portion of Jesus is simple. It's it's saying a prayer. It's receiving him. The Lordship of Jesus. Choosing that he is to be actually followed is a different story. The threshold of cost is a bit higher. It's something closer to everything. The disciples throw their nets down, which are not just the way they make a couple of bucks. It's who they have been for generations, and it's who they were supposed to be for generations, and they immediately lay their nets down. Matthew walks out of his tax collector's booth. Zacchaeus leaves the tree and leaves a way of swindling and follows Jesus. We see this too in John chapter 10 as Jesus is describing the abundant life he has for his followers. And it's not about achieving. It's not about earning. He speaks to it very succinctly and says that the sheep know the shepherd's voice, the ability to discern, hear, and obey by going in the way that he offers I am very cognizant and aware of the Jesus as God dynamic. It is critically important. It's not to be ignored. But over the last few years, I have become increasingly concerned with not just Jesus as God, but with Jesus, my Lord, in that the way he gives us to go. Yes, we say a prayer. Yes, there's often a line of demarcation, a decision and a choice. But that is quickly followed up by steps, activity of life being lived. One reason for that is the subjectivity of such. The vibrant, personal, day-to-day give and take that emanates. Jesus not just being my God, but also being my Lord. In short, and perhaps since an oversimplification, but Jesus as my God involves my exuberant yes to receive him. Jesus as my Lord, requires that I say no to things, that I say no to ways of acting, that I say no to ways of treating everybody, say no to things. It configures my choosings so I can follow him. Awkwardly expensive stuff indeed. And so I'd ask for you to consider, of course, Have you said yes to receive Jesus? 
But more beautifully, have you said no to other things that would position you to be able to continue to be in his way, in your treatment of others, in your deferring towards others, in your loving, in your fill in the blank. Here's the thing. Only you can answer what that blank is because the Holy Spirit will speak to you, will lead you and offer you that way to go. Let me leave you with this benediction. May we exuberantly say yes to Jesus and position him as God in our worlds. May we yield to him as Lord as well with all the self-control, obedience, and suggestion of saying no that such activity takes. And may we remember that with Jesus, it only gets better. We want to wish you a happy Christmas from Life Church.